manufacturers that center on the customer, leverage data, and introduce the least amount of friction in the industrial buyer's process will win the business of the future. Hello, my name is James Soto, and this is the Industrial Strength Marketing Podcast. Thank you for joining me for my second solo cast. I really don't do it often because we just have so many great guests, everyone from John Miller of Demand Base, uh, Nicholas Holland, VP of Product at HubSpot, uh, gosh, Frank Baldazara from engineering.com, who's Nikolik from Inter- Interesting Engineering. Oh gosh, this, this season, it's been great. We've had so many great folks. Ilya Merman from Desktop Metal and so many more wonderful industrial B2B marketers and leaders who are really driving how we do what we do when it comes to industrial marketing in the sector. And today, as we focus on helping you make marketing the strength of your business, I'm going to talk about an event I'm speaking at called MFG 2021 plus MT Forecast. It's put on by the Association for Manufacturing Technology. They're fantastic. They're the ones behind IMTS and and just really honoring and celebrating them. And, and we're going to be meeting in Denver this Friday. And I thought I'd give you an overview of actually what I'll be talking about in, in terms of talking about the future of marketing and selling in the industrial sector. So as I'm going to do that, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about um, really where are things going and what we need to do as marketers, sellers, and especially leaders to really look at how do we really take our business into the future. And so as, as we kind of get started, any f- sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That, that may be a quote you've heard before from Arthur C. Clarke. A lot of what we do is absolutely magical. If we really think about our capabilities and that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, the, ma- the amount of massive data and tools and automation and intelligently generated content and AI-powered um, uh, experiences really give us a lot of tools to work with. And, and it's beginning to come um, to really separate a number of, companies from the pack. And in my context of founding industrial, um, we've been focusing on ultimately how do we help manufacturers, distributors, and industrial services companies really make marketing the strength of the business. And, and, And more viscerally as a promise, how do we help them be better marketers and sellers of their industrial products and services? We've worked with icons of industry, those that are really aspiring to be to really level check where they are, where they're going, and, and really address the marketing function, the sales function, and its integration into a business. The rigor upon which manufacturers are transforming to leverage the promises of data and technology and AI and automation in their businesses, with that rigor, that same rigor needs to be applied to the marketing and selling sciences. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the future and what that looks like and, and, and where do we find ourselves at this moment so we can move forward. So the trouble is that many of us believe that there's times of certainty and uncertainty, but the truth is that anything can happen at any time. And as Simon Sinek wrote in The Infinite Game, that crisis is the great revealer of the fact that in life and in business, nothing is certain there has never been more uncertainty than there is now. 
So as we level set, it's important to understand the context of how strong we've been. Right now, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, a global economic crisis, a global supply chain crisis, a major crisis of labor, a skilled labor gap in the manufacturing sector, a global environmental crisis, and, and a crisis that may be happening in your life based on where we've been these last you know, months and years. And it's all happening at the same time. And that's why I'm speaking. That's why I'm, I'm talking to you today. Because we're here to challenge you that when it comes to marketing and selling in the industrial sector, the way that you did it, that got you to where you are today, if you keep doing, can actually cause you to fail. Why? Because we need to make changes. We need to make them now. And if we don't just, we just don't find ourselves in a crisis as if another great recession, we're in the midst of a great acceleration. The past is gone, and we have to work to manufacture the business of the future we want now. We really want now, because there's no going back. Zoom, Microsoft, marketing automation, they're not the future, they're the present. E-commerce and manufacturing is not the future, it's the present. And AI is already disrupting or transforming every industrial business directly or indirectly in some way across the supply chain. The industrial buyer is increasingly in control. They're getting what they want wherever, whenever, however they may want online and off. There's just no turning back. I have been through the entire transformation of analog to digital as we look at cellular, the development of Bluetooth standards in terms of research in the 90s I was involved with, um, those funny little numbers that became Bluetooth, low Earth orbit satellites that became our satellite-based technologies, and the emergence of the internet, 1994, Yahoo, 98, Google, and, and, and was born industrial, worked in a factory through college. My father was in manufacturing 42 years. My, my sister's an industrial engineer, and I was in the technology and data space coming out of that with that industrial leaning and I was approached by one of the major industrial search directories as they were looking to transform and go from print to digital. And they needed people with really strong industrial DNA. And I saw a fundamental problem in the market, a similar transformation that, as we go back to 2002 and 2003, that the industrial buyer flipped. They went from 70 plus percent going to a supplier manufacturer for information and went down to 7%. No matter five years between, you know, 1998 roughly and 2002. Why? because the buyer was getting information online. Their habits were beginning to shift. And by 2005, um, from a 2004 study, we saw for the first time 52% of industrial buyers started the supplier search process online. There was no going back. And because of that, and because there was a fundamental problem in the industrial sector that, you know, you create a business because you find a problem in it, and that marketing was missing, mismanaged, or misunderstood. That was a problem, and it still is today. Roughly 30% of manufacturers still don't even have one marketing person, and the, many that do, it's glorified fulfillment and sales enablement. There are industrial-age companies that are those that are trending digital, and they're those digital pace setters, and the delta between them is growing. And what I learned through all of this transformation and evolution and convergence 
was that we need to make a way of living life, doing business, marketing and selling obsolete before generational technology market forces or the competition does. That's why I'm doing the show. That's why I'm speaking. And that's why I'm speaking to industrial marketing 4.0, the future of marketing and selling in the industrial sector. So let's get started. Um, Amara's Law um, was, was um, a noted <laughs> uh, point of view from uh, futurist Roy Amara, and it reflects that we often overestimate the impact of new technology in the short run underestimate it in the long run. And there's no better case to look at than AI. In 1950s, artificial intelligence originates, you know, an encompassing term for, you know, imbuing machines with human qualities such as speech and vision. And in 85, machine learning forms and using data and content combined with algorithms to bring new insights. Machine learning, the algorithms learn, they adapt. Data gets bigger in 2010 when we start the emergence of big data and we start to see the value of that with cognitive skills and sentiment analysis and natural language processing, 2016 machine vision forms, and you start to see AI and elements of it reach human parity in terms of object recognition. In 2017, speech recognition, speech reaches, recognition reaches human parity. 2018, machine translation reaches human parity. 2018, language technology developed such as machine reading comprehension, again, reaches human parity. Grab your phone, grab your translator, tell me how well you're going to beat it. In 2019 and beyond, quantum computing, the acceleration of the processing power, the scale of AI, Many fear, and, but many are embracing as we responsibly leverage the technology. So before we get into the changing industrial buyer, data, machines that sell themselves, the shifting paradigms around how we need to adapt it for the future as industrial marketers and sellers, there are basic AI use cases. Um, you'll see Facebook ads, email, text-based natural language re recognition, personalization. You see that on your Netflix. You see that on websites. Personalized experiences based on someone coming in on a very long buying process and where they are in the journey. Maybe they're getting the information they need at that stage. Competitor analysis will freak you out. What we can know about your competitors, what they're spending, what they're doing, where they're found. Brand reputation at scale across multiple channels, managing that. And then there's conversational AI-powered sales and service and even recruitment assistance. And I, I mention recruitment a lot because the, the, the marketing and sales functions, are, especially marketing function, is bringing in to help with addressing the skilled labor gap. There's a major recruitment marketing imperative around really reaching these active and passive candidates wherever, you are. We, wherever they are. We have to meet them. And then sourcing, screening, you name it. And I'm just going to power through these buyer service, talent engagement, personalization, competitor analysis, customer retention, customer experience. We can get the emotion behind this context of what's being talked about in our communities and really drive buying experiences, brand reputation, efficiency, search engines, copywriting. And what's interesting about copywriting as we start to look at the development of machine learning, natural language processing, 
and even the deeper learning that gets uh, um, that, that is the outcrop when you're looking at these massive data and you're starting to see this data applied at scale is copywriting even that persuasive copywriting job posts, email, subject lines, product descriptions, things in social media, um, it's starting to really reach that point of human application and, and, and soon parity. And Alibaba, which has so many products and, and, and pervasive arguments to make, persuasive is that the, you know, the Alibaba's uh, Turing test is starting to pass as human. So what does that mean for us as marketers and sellers, as communicators, and product and content recommendations, programmatic advertising, the amount at which we can target people wherever, whenever, and however they are online is astounding. I'm going to talk a little bit about the first party, second party, third party data, and that balanced against privacy. How do we really market in a way that we really feel good about ourselves and, and respectful of, of the industrial buyer? And, and just to dive into so many of the technologies, these AI-powered assistants, and um, really looking at what does that really look like? So when someone like reaches out, let's say, for an opportunity or a job, and someone you know, reaches out and says, hey, I'm interested. It's like, hey, hey, Steve, do you have, you know, driving experience? And, you know, and then you hear, oh, yes, about, you know, five years. And, you know, what's the minimum for this role? You know, he answers. And then, you know, you reply the, as, you know, let's say pilot lying J. That's great. This position, you know, requires at least, you know, two years. Well, behind the scenes is, hey, hi, you're not even talking to a human. You know, you know, when they say yes about five years to the question about, you know, driving experience from, you know, really the AI bot is it's really yes looking for that affirmation about five years. It's using an informed expression of five years. And then what's the minimum uh, for this role, which is a request or question, a minimum expression. And so that equation of affirm, inform, and, and request uh, has a confidence of 87%, which flags, okay, that's great. This position requires two years. And what's going to happen over time is more and more and more time is going to be spent speaking with who you think is a human, but it's actually someone who's not. And quite frankly, they may be better armed as they're fielding hundreds and thousands of questions and, you know, learning from that collectively. And, and AI applies to very simple things tactically like ads and email and, you know, text-based services. And you start to see 39% lift in, uh, you know, text engagements and 31% open rate gains. And, and machine learning is really starting to make an impact because, you know, we're basically doing the best guess game in terms of a lot of these things that we're doing. And personalization, like with, an, you know, looking at hundreds of thousands of subject lines in an email, which is the single most important aspect of an email to get it opened in the first place, massive changes if you can increase open rates. And, and AI that could be trained to an astounding degree of accuracy of how your audience will respond to a subject line. And, and so everybody here, like, um, I'd love to show you this example, of just one of the examples side by side of a Facebook relevance score, you know, um, kind of similar to a Google quality score about, you know, if you get seven, you know, if you get, you know, a score around nine or 10, um, how do you move those things up? And, and, the goal is if you can have AI literally write, you know, the subject of your ad, treat yourself to the ultimate summer holiday in the surf, book your break now, option one. You definitely, option B, you definitely deserve a treat this summer. How about sun, sea, and savings? Which one do you think was written by AI? 
it's actually, I think, the one that sounds cooler, the last one. Um, and using AI, you're starting to see these technologies, these AI copywriting, um, you know, um, reduce, like, the ad cost per lead by, like, 31%. So these are real technologies that are being applied today as we start to look at industrials that are marketing, advertising, promoting themselves. Those are out there. And as we look at competitor analysis, you can stay ahead of your competition. It's amazing how much you can track about what's happening. I typically don't like to talk about um, that one as much. It's just because it's, it's so strategic. There's so many ways to do it right or wrong in terms of competitive intercepts. You know, one of the things you can look at is if you're doing additive manufacturing and you're looking at a competing process that you think additive can do it better in, we start to really look at those and we look at those competitive intercepts and there's tools that allow us to do that when people are searching for a new supplier. And things like brand reputation, AI for building relationships with your clients or your workforce, you know, and even placing ads. You think about Grammarly on steroids, spending about $20,000 to have an AI-based technology that's looking at the semantics, it's looking at cultural bias, it's look like it's looking at whether a job is perceived better by males or females, a word killer you'll see in some examples and say, oh, no, why don't we use like an awesome, we're looking for a, you know, an, a killer engineer. or How about just an awesome engineer? Like all of these language changes that iteratively and through machine learning are starting to show across the entire data set. How do you write things that improve application rates or conversion rates in terms of sales? And as more and more of our, you know, life becomes um, video based, you know, there's even algorithms and, and technology that's like, like addressing like cheating on like on interviews and things like that and customer engagement, sentiment analysis. And, and one of the interesting cases, like, well, what does that really mean for me as a marketer or seller is, you know, most of us have, I would imagine, you know, advertised on Google and you, Google, you can be in their display ad network or you can do pay-per-click type advertising to show up in a critical search that's expressing buying intent. That's what you do. Let's say CNC machining services, probably one of the most searched terms out there. And as we're looking at those things, we can start to see like AI is even getting better at pay-per-click. Um, and, and, and it'll start to replace what it's already doing is starting to place a lot of those low cognitive positions that are out there in marketing and selling. So as we look at like the automation and efficiency to minimize the need to add humans to the workforce, the same thing's gonna be happening, whether it's in serving, driving, whether it's in marketing and selling, and so many positioning. And, and here's just a matrix that I've, I've been looking at in terms of bidding, computers do it better, calculating split testing and statistical significance, AI does it better, reporting, AI, negative keywords from search query results, negative expansion from search query results better, competitor analysis in real time better, identifying trends in large data sets better. But what a human does better is really that high cognitive work. And that's creating and testing new ads. And increasingly, we're seeing AI there um, as a partner to machine assistant. I'll show you an example and, and the data analysis. Because sometimes you just got to say, hey, this is just a horrible product or value proposition. You got to have that tough love conversation. Um, and, then, and then finally, we, without getting into too many examples, there's AI-assisted creative, and that's a combination of machine-assisted creative and analytics, predictive concept performance, validation, and creative lifecycle optimization. Um, and that's around really 
driving better reach, engagement, and conversion. So essentially, AI is helping you design the ad. It's giving you the ability to provide proactive guidance on you know, multiple patterns throughout the, the creative itself to actually predict whether it'll perform or not. And I remember years ago, we were looking at um, some ads where we put someone like real serious versus smiling, and we, we were starting to test those things and see how much, oh my gosh, just a smile improve things. And there's so many different elements in terms of creative that the AI is even giving us some hints as we're putting the concepts up, maybe even how to do the video shoot, how to do the photo shoot. And, and then from there, you can start to do predictive analysis of where you've landed after that to actually test the ads predictively before you do the spend. Think about the savings there. And then once you do apply those towards the media platforms and advertising, the technology can come in and really do creative lifecycle optimization. So again, use that machine learning, adapt, you know, all those adaptive elements you put that can change as the machine tells you could, you can start to optimize. You're increasing the lifespan of the ad, you know, and you see most impact in the first up to first 10 days. And then you start to see kind of that bell curve about 28 and we start to kind of see how do we like adjust that and make those tweaks along the way. Again, machine assisted, the more you do, the more it can help. So as we wrap it up, artificial intelligence is essentially, as you all know, the science of making machines smart. And as we look at those parallels between manufacturing and industry 4.0 and predictive maintenance and intelligence and all the different applications we're finding for AI and manufacturing, you know, art of, you know artificially, artificially inte- uh, intelligent marketing is really the science of making marketing smart or sales smart. And machine learning can help and deep learning is going to be coming into play. And if you look at the whole landscape of technologies that we have as manufacturers and software, the chief MarTech produces a marketing technology landscape that I've been following for years. And it was just like this one page, a bunch of tables, and you you could basically scan every technology provider, and it grew, and it grew. And now there's an exponential growth of marketing-enabling technologies advertising, media, sentiment, um, you know, management, um, engagement, e-commerce and sales and all the magic, um, you know, remote alerts, identifying people, personalization, getting people, um, salespeople alerts when people are showing buying intent. There's so many technologies I couldn't even begin to express how many they are. And that brings us back to that point where we're looking at any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Because AI helps marketers turn insights into actions that improve performance, lower cost, and generate ROI. Sound familiar, manufacturers? <laughs> and, 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 and the whole point is, is your marketing and selling machine, as you look at the future, getting smarter on its own. So what we need to really look at is the new industrial buyer. You got to meet them digitally as they adapt, get older, because they're digitally adapting older, and there's a generation of new industrial buyers and buying processes that we're going to really have to adapt and consider and change for. We also have to really look at, and everyone needs to take notice of the Amazon effect. The consumer segment is absolutely affected how we need to market as industrials. We have those expectations are bridging to what we expect during the buying, the commerce, the customer experience and service process. Just like, they, just like 
really the top technology companies do. And, and then we're going to look at the customer intelligence and, and we're going to have to honor the industrial buyer's privacy while we try to map their journey while building an unassailable first party view of the customer intelligence of the folks that we really want to market to. It's hard to market to everyone. And we're going to talk about that imperative and that currency around it's about the data and, and the data is your future. So when we look at the new industrial buyer, it's really critical to understand where we are today. So if we look at traditional marketing and selling from the 1890s, really to, you know, the millennium, uh, the manufacturer controls the process, you know, and as we look at 99 to the present, now the industrial buyer controls. Previously, linear buying processes. Now we're going to talk a little bit about nonlinear industrial buying processes. The process was human event, catalogs on shelves, human-centered, and now it's machine-assisted humans that are really working to leverage and integrate with the technologies. It was slow, now it's instant. It, it was face-to-face, -face, now it's virtual. The preponderance of our activities moving forward will be virtual. In the past, the manufacturing services, the wholesale process, and, in, and now it's self-service. We'll let you know when we need to talk. Four is third-party data, right? We got all kinds of data. We kind of spam people. We send all these emails, bought lists. But now with privacy rules because, and, and because so many people are getting so many messages, it's really about first-party data. Lots to consider. So as I look forward, I, I'm a big fan of the industrial influence on the buying process study from Gartner Business Media. And on our podcast, we had Dave Necessary. You got to check out that episode. He did a great job. Um, and we really talked about like the four stages of the buying process. And, you know, these were people that were looking primarily at capital equipment. And we went through a lot of data to understand really what they were looking for. Uh, what, at each stage of the process, at the research phase, um, at the evaluation stage, and, and then obviously what was the duration of the sales process, the size, and we started to look at you know, how many vendors they were looking at, you know, how many people were involved in the B2B buying process when it was really more substantial versus, you know, let's say, an MRO purchase that could be more transactional. How are those things working? And we're starting to see the impact of a changing, you know, process where, you know, this one was looking at a little bit more linearly the industrial buying process from needs awareness, research, consideration, comparison, you know, and then procurement. And, and as we saw this, we started to see real trends in terms of their behaviors and how they're changing. Now let's juxtaposition that against another study, not Gartner Business Media, but Gartner. And as we look at Gartner, you know, we start to see, I love showing corroborating data, right? When we start to see the same stats and what they were showing was significantly more people eight plus people could be involved in the b2b industrial buying process and each had a very distinct role whether it's problem identification solution exploration requirements building supplier selection and there's this validation consensus process but what they showed in the process was that the process was non-linear the assumptions were being questioned going an in-house external approach, was going back and forth. And the process goes back and forth, back and forth. 
And then as that's happening, you're starting to see four to six pieces of content being consumed by different people at different phases towards the end, reliability, comparison, decision-making grids, you know, let me know your delivery. So different information at different phases. And what's interesting, more and more, the information was being found um, on their own and deeper and deeper in the buying process before reaching out to sales. Because what you know, both Gardner Business Media and, and Gartner show is that they spend really a minority of their time working with suppliers during the sales process or the buying process, 17% in this case. So as we start to look at that, we have to really adapt our thinking about how do we serve the industrial buyer with the information they need in order to do business with us. And um, we had John Miller on the show and, and they adapted you know, the new industrial buying process or B2B buying process to account-based marketing. And in there, they talk about it more as a looping process, same principle, really that shift of going from unknown like phase of what they're doing and searching and I'm social and they have a buying research committee and they're doing all the, you know, gathering. And then on the other end, you know, you, you, you consider the Delta between the known and unknown is like when they, you know, let's say try to get some more information at some point and go deeper, they fill out a form on multiple vendors, multiple sites, some research, some actual suppliers, and really the presence of going unknown to, you know, the point of unknown to known, there's so much of it happening up front that if they're filling out a form because they want to give up their anonymity, download something, it's already too late. The marketers of the future are, are considerably more focused on looking at the overall buying journey and hitting them with information, not interruption, and being of service. Because the fundamental problem right now, and this is you know, as existential problem in the market, is that there is a deluge of content out there. And manufacturers, I would argue, being such laggards, are scaling content audio, written, video at such a high scale with no concern for its impact that there is such a deluge of content surplus that there's also um, an abundance of great content. And what, what Gartner does a really good job of speaking with in a number of their studies, which you should really consider, it's really starting to change the role of sales. That it's less about features and benefits when finally they do reach out to sales. You know, let's say, you know, it's more of a significant interdependent thing that's more of consequence of purchasing to a manufacturer or an organization. And they're reaching out to them because they ultimately want to figure this stuff out. The the studies are showing they're really struggling with making sense of it all, and they call it sense-making. So the shift that we're seeing is that selling needs to go to the service business. They have to go to the sense-making business. And if we're there, not just giving them more collateral and crap, and we're really giving them more sense-making and helping them as that trusted advisor and our marketers are aligned with them to give them the right information in the right place at the right time. That's the principle of account-based marketing. It's no longer focusing on 
the contact. No one really speaks up, say, hey, I sold Joe today. It's like, no, I sold Acme Manufacturing Company. And they look at those accounts and they look at the ideal profile. They look at the customer journey. And they say, you know what? We're not going after the 290 manufacturing plants in the United States, according to recent studies show. We have built an approach, an account-based approach to say, no longer we're going to spray and pray. We're going to figure out who are those best accounts that we really need to go after. We're going to look at our total addressable market for what we do, but we're going to look at what's the best landed cost per part. Who's the best who can run programs on that machine? Who really can truly use our automation technology? Whatever it is you're selling. And we're going to sift through that. And we're going to pick our target account list and start to assign people who and marketers and sellers align towards a very discrete view saying, what have we focused on? You know, how do we sell across GE? You treat in account-based marketing, you treat the business as if it's a market. It is a shotgun with a scope on it, not a shotgun. And account-based marketing is really starting to step in front of a lot of the shortcomings of inbound-based marketing in the sense that we were just thinking of them as a funnel. We were sending automated content and emails and things like that and automated sales reminders. But what, what account-based really looks at is the fact, so where are they in their journey? What information could they need at what point in their journey? What should we track? Since I'm only focused on 25, let's say, as a, you know, as a sales engineer or a sales development representative, or a marketer on these specific accounts and obsess on what they are, what their journey, what are the indicators that are expressing need. And AI actually can layers on that, programmatic marketing layers on that, intent-based marketing technologies and these account-based marketing platforms leverage that to bring that machine aspect and your data centered in your system that should be centered on the customer to go do that. So I may be blowing a lot of your minds <laughs> depending on where you are in your journey but to the extent that you can get that information to them at the right place at the right time, you know, in that, you know, heavily front-leaning phase of the unknown and building your brand and serving them, you're not interrupting them. You're thinking about what do they need and when, and you're just working to be of service. That's what's important. So account-based Marketing is evolving to account-based experience where it's a go-to-market strategy that uses data and insights to orchestrate relevant, trusted marketing and sales actions through the B2B customer, the industrial customer lifecycle. It's a great technology to look at, but you have to make sure that in your journey, you just got to do the fundamentals right. Do you know who the customer is? Do you understand what they need and when? Do you know where they are? Do you have a data set around them? Do you have technology that some enabling plumbing of CRM, marketing, sales automation, intelligence and tools to do that. That's the future. That's the opportunity. And the companies that are really mastering the marketing and selling sciences and leveraging data and technology, they're winning the business of the future. The right message in the right place at the right time. So as we look at less complex buying processes. Meaning, 
you know, in, in manufacturing, we, we just sometimes just want to go ahead and buy the product <laughs> um, or service. I'm looking for someone to produce a part. I'm looking for just to buy the part. Um, we can't underestimate the Amazon effect and the new set of expectations of companies that were sellers that really transformed not just e-commerce. They were thinking of just, yes, that is a tool and as a platform, but they're technology companies as much as they are supply chain distribution and fulfillment. Every company must be in some way a technology company. And Amazon has set those set of expectations for us. So if you want to really look at and do a pro forma of your business, of where and how it's going to grow, considering this generational technology and market forces and competitive forces, the best way to predict your future, according to Abraham Lincoln, is to create it. And I'll give you a couple real-life examples that I've worked on um, and our team's worked on that just show that anxiety and concern and excitement and opportunity and call to action. So I worked with Motion Industries on a project called P2MRO. I actually named it that. (laughs) And it means predictive and preventative maintenance, repair, and operation. So if we go to the backdrop of where we were just a few years ago, five, six years ago, we were really looking at changing dynamics. We were looking at the ability to install sensors that can predict failure. So when you think about an industrial distributor, um, you know, industrial services company, um, that's really mission is to keep industry in motion, um, uptime, right? And literally, you know, keeping businesses competitive through that. Um, you know, you only have to go so far as the modern distribution management top 40 industrial distributors list. And in meeting with Randy Bro, he's the you know president um, of Motion Industries, one of my best friends in business, by the way. Uh, over time, um, he comes to me whenever the you know industrial whenever he has a real challenge and needs you know some real you know just points of views. He's smart enough to know you know, and other folks are figuring out or working on this crapola. He's trying to um, you know we were looking at the top forty industrial distribution list, and we were looking at the rise of Amazon. And if you can see here, they're actually now um, because they don't break out their you know Amazon industrial business as much. You know they're number three. And if you look at just the way they do business and that one swipe, one click buying process, the ability to provide a marketplace for manufacturers to sell their products, and we see so many industrials leveraging their marketplace. It's incredible. They're running advertising, man. And they're hard. They're, I, I mean, they're really tough on people about advertising. We'll have another conversation about that. Um, just be kind. Be kind. Um, but you can see here that it's just a click away. You know, you can get a job. You can sell your products there. You can um, literally get a motor, get its control, and it's only going to get more and more competitive. So they're keeping an eye on that. And that same instant gratification, check your order, see online, get it on Prime, get it quick, keep the factory in motion, get the product you need for the front office and the back in manufacturing. And at the time, if you really think back to where we were back then, we were looking at, you know, this sensor movement and, you know, suppliers like SKF and looking at sensors and predicting failure of bearings and and being able to put those into systems to keep the the you know, factory in motion to be of service. Everyone's looking at how they get closer to the customer. And here, you know, was motion and SKF looking at that 
issue and we looked at and I, I uh, the technology, if you remember, like GE predicts, you know, uh, the industrial Internet of Things platform technology, you know, predictive, you know, ma- you know maintenance, repair, operations, and all of the, the, you know, essentially the industrialization of the, you know, the plant. And we're looking at it from the point of view, well, what are your top products? And they, they sell Baldor electric motors and, and, you know, mechanical and electrical power transmission. And we say, well, in the, in the light of this new technologies, these enabling platforms and ERP and operational software, you know, this digital transformation of manufacturing, I pose the question as we look at everything we can sense, what, when there is a call from sensors now prevalently in every factory in the future, and then near future, what, what does that mean to you? It's like, well, one, we're in the business where there's a race to the bottom in terms of cost, right? To be competitive and to be their distributor, to be a stocking, you know, item, great vending, whatever they needed to do, you know, that's a business they're in and they have to find ways to deliver value. So they're really looking at, how can we look at this? But, at the, but, what, but what pointed up, what, what came up was at the point of predictive failure and in these systems, and maybe they're not necessarily stocking it, and they're, they're confident they have just-in-time or an advance notice of, what kind of marketplace decision does that predictive failure call for? Does that integrate with Amazon? And will you get the order, Motion Industries? At the point of predictive failure, who gets the order? And what can your business model do to adapt? And we looked and we looked and we looked and we talked and we looked at some business model canvassing. And we looked at the fact that, you know, increasingly industrial distribution is going to need to be not in just the parts and components and everything you need, but they're going to need to be in the uptime as a service model. Literally changing the way they think about everything and how they do it and the roles that they can assume in an organization. So I can't get it to it that deeply. And as we kind of come back to the human signals, you know, if you look at, you know, big analog data, those same sensor technologies we have just right on our wrist. You don't have to go so far as your, your Apple watch. And we need to, as we look at the businesses on the front end and the sales and, and the top of the, you know, the P&L, how do we, how do we really sense those signals, meet people where they're at, see when they're having buying intent and, and, well, we're just going to call them and go to LinkedIn. We need to really look at changing the way we do things and looking at what signals can we detect predictively as marketers and sellers to give them the right information in the right place and at the right time. Let's look at one more model here. Then there's supply chain service centers. Does anyone know here with a, you know, <laughs> on the audience what a supply chain service center is? So, you know, machining, fabrication, custom manufacturing, job shops, that's an area that really excites me in particular. And as we look at that, we see a lot of different things happening. This Amazon effect is happening here too. And you only have to go so far as just do it one of the most commonly searched amongst all industrial terms when looking for a new supplier. I'm new, I have an emergency, I'm dissatisfied, I'm infrequently looking, I'm, a new, I'm comparison shopping for another supplier. Someone needs a capability that's not currently something they have. We go to search first. 
and self-service manufacturers sales and we're seeing the companies in the services areas do that so if we look towards the you know the architects <laughs> the matrix architects you know of this matrix of industrial buying and selling we'll start to see in these search results a whole new breed of service editors of custom manufacturers and they're looking at it from a totally point of view. They're looking at it from supply chain, just in time, convenience, Amazon type convenience, self-service type convenience. And I encountered a number of companies that everyone, if you're listening to this show, do a search on your mobile phone for CNC machining services. And I promise you, you'll see one of these companies I'm about to highlight and I want to just give you some context because I've been there, you know, if I look in the late 90s, but basically early 2000s when we we're converting from print to digital and for years and years and even to this day, when you look at, you know, like search and search volumes and whatever what search, when you look at, you know, 60 to 70,000 industrial products and services categories, categories and directories like IHS Global Spec or, or ThomasNet, CNC machining services is in the top. You pay the most to be first on the list for a priority of position. And when you look at Google, where a lot of that traffic to even those directories is really redirected from, so go to Google first, you see these companies, they pushed everybody out of the way. Like seemingly overnight, because these companies are focused on the marketing and selling sciences and leveraging technology, but that's not all. If you look at a company like Fractory, they're based in England. They're here. They're literally providing instant quotes. They're providing Amazon-level service where they're literally delivering it. It's delivered by Fractory. They have 50 manufacturers that are producing 24 million parts. And they're giving you the conveniences of immediacy, of self-service online, rapid direct. Instant quotes, fictive, the same. Quick parts, the same. CNC lathing. Worst case scenarios you'll see in these is like same day quotes. Why? Immediacy is key because that's what the modern industrial buyer will require. You know, if over half of our engineers right now, no, not if, half of our engineers plus are eligible for retirement. And the new generation completely does things differently. In full disclosure, we work with Fast Radius early on in their development. They were actually previously called on kind of the um, skunk works phase, cloud DDM. And we worked with them as they were, you know, transitioning from cloud DDM to Fast Radius. So I just want to give full disclosure here. But I'm going to call them out as a really great example here as we look at additive manufacturing, the general breadth of what they can do, even on, you know, subtractive the entire experience is completely automated. I would argue that I like certain aspects of this experience even better than in any <laughs> uh, consumer e-commerce site. And I'll encourage you to watch the video of how it's transformed. I, and it really, I'm finding it really hard to see how many companies are going to compete against these companies that are found. They're front of line. They're instant or near instant quoting. And 
and they're literally allowing people to upload, do everything they want, check their orders, see what's happening, look at status. They've looked at this business from a supply chain standpoint, the ability to deliver standpoint from a self-service standpoint, and they completely are looking at this in a totally different way as technology-based companies first that are leveraging really the manufacturing of the future. You know, um, you know right off the start, Fast Radius embedded their operations right inside UPS's main hub. Talk about that and being literally embedded in the supply chain right there at a hub. And we worked with UPS to kind of promote that initially. So as we look at protolabs and exometry, these are folks that we may have our critiques of, but they just have to be good enough. But their self-service and online experiences are exceptional. And why do I bring up that immediacy? Why is that so important? If you look at multiple studies, Hartford Business Journal, you know, people are looking to get contacts and leads. And that immediacy is super important. Why? Because of our expectations level of patience. At the point of need, at the point of inquiry, when they're finally ready to reach out to you. If when they do, traditionally through a form, which <laughs> doing it directly on your own even beats this, if a lead is called within five minutes versus 30 minutes after it's submitted, that lead is 100 times more likely to be contacted and 21 times, 21 times more likely to enter the sales cycle. 21x if you're first to the lead. I mean, five minutes, first wins. That's an order, a two orders of magnitude chance that enters your life cycle, you know, your sales cycle. And connect rate. You know, manufacturers that tried to contact someone within an hour, you know, were seven times more likely just to connect to those that tried an hour later and more than 60 times as likely as companies that waited 24 hours, 7X. Why? Because they got other options. Leads spoil. And immediacy is key. And you got to look to see what these companies are doing. How do you compete and be competitive? So, there's a changing industrial buyer with different expectations, looking deeper. There's a whole new way of looking at things based on consumer-based perceptions and expectations and immediacy. Time is money. And there's ways that we can look at businesses based on accounts, based on just leads, targeting, data. But what about the data? What about the customer intelligence? Well, Right now, we're going through a period of time where there's significant energy and focus on protecting our privacy. Apple is doing it. Um, GDPR is requiring people to accept the, the tracking. And, you know, Apple very viscerally will allow you just to shut that down. And it's impacting, you know, and threatening even Facebook's, you know, main um, ability to, to you know, generate their revenue through advertising. And they're using third-party cookies and and... And I want to really talk to you a little bit about data because I think it's going to be a massive competitive, strategic competitive advantage in the future for manufacturers. And you look at first-party data, it's your audience data. It's collected directly from the source. 
Um, and, you know, it may lack scale depending on you know, how committed you are. Do you have a CRM set up yet? Marketing automation? Do you have a data warehouse? Things like that. Second party data is really someone else's first party data. It's sold in a private data marketplace. It's purchased directly from the source. Um, and one of the ways we like to look at it is when we find audiences, when we see media, when we see circulation, when we see, and folks that really target our segment, you know, so much than looking at their rate card, we like to look at their intelligence and see if, you know, they will allow us to do, you know, uh, uh, fulfillment. We often do it as an intermediary to protect it. And then the converted data is that, but, but that's super important. So we still see trade and industrial media and their business intelligence components as having this great asset. And so that's an important, and then you really have third party data and that's aggregated from multiple data sources and they're bought and sold and an exchange and at scale, you can get it from ISPs, but we can do across all of them, very targeted demographic, firmographic, technographic, the technologies they use. We can scan their websites, do things like that, see what software as a service they have. We can do many things to do that. But ultimately, what we need to create and understand is what are we doing with all of this marketing? What is the goal? What happens when we find someone net new? or we've targeted them and found the right person, or we went to invent and we got a swipe on our swipe card. All of these things we're investing in to get one thing, a currency, a contact coin, right? A contact, a person's contact information. And, and how, for how many years of organizations not had a centralized view of the customer, all systems share it. The existing customers, your alumni, past customers, folks in your pipeline, folks that you're targeting, and how are you enriching that data? People move, they go to new jobs, they enter the marketplace, they pass on, <laughs> things happen. But what are you doing to really build upon this annuity of the contact? Are you building a, an increasingly com more complex, and Google may shut off third-party cookies altogether, they're threatening it, at least, cookie apocalypse, so marketers are gonna lose a lot of tracking ability. So the need to really focus on your data could make that an unassailable asset to have the best data. We know who we're targeting. Why am I here? It's you guys. Manufacturing technology. We understand the services ecosystem and the customer. So we have the, you know, we have the segment. We have the audience understanding. We have the marketplace options. We have the data. We know how to target and connect industrial buyers with suppliers here. This is why I'm here, right? It's like, so as we're building that unassailable data asset and we're nurturing it and we're leveraging it, whether it's inbound, outbound, account-based marketing, e-commerce, you've got to build that data. So as we move on and we wrap up, you got to focus on where we're at at this moment of time and why the time for marketing, selling, and, and really evaluating the core function of marketing and selling and the technology and data that enables it and the experiences you need to create are so important. You have to serve and, you know, gather individual and blind peer marketing readiness, benchmark data and service. You got to serve them with the information they need in order to do business with you, the right place in the right context at the right time. And you have to transform. You got to center on your markets and your customer. 
You've got to give them whatever they want, wherever, whenever, however they may need it. You need to create a culture of service in your team that reflects you, your brand, your values at any time. Because if you do, profit, at, if you center on the customer and their needs and being of service, profit will be your reward for that satisfied customer. So as we wrap this up, I want to thank you for listening to the Industrial Strength Marketing Show. If you just heard one golden nugget that you think you can use, then I think I've done my job. Please visit us at industrialstrengthmarketing.com. Please write a review. It helps us be found. If you believe in marketing, if you want marketing that more of a voice in the audio universe, please tell me what I can do to go from a five from a six. What, what can we do? Write a review. Share it with some friends. Tell me how we can do better. But most of all, be brave. Focus on making marketing the strength of your business. We'll see you next week.